If you want to build credibility as a marketing, a product, or customer success leader, sharing customer feedback is the fastest way to do it because you can't dispute customer feedback as a data point. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, and today we're very excited to have Emily Carrion, VP of Marketing at Esper, join us on this episode of the Human Insight Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today, Emily, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Emily, your background and and your role at Esper? Yeah, happy to. So ever since my MBA, I got hooked on the autonomy of working at startups. So I've kind of become a serial growth stage marketer. And my favorite time to join a company is as the first executive marketer right after the series A, when there's hopefully product market fit and there's customers who love the product. And then from there, I get to scale revenue, I get to scale the team and and really help the company grow. Um, So my specialty has been in B2B SaaS companies. And I've been in a host of different industries from mobile, cybersecurity, customer experience, and now DevOps. Um, And Esper is my sixth startup. I joined about a year ago and have been building out the marketing function and our go-to-market strategy. And it's an all-encompassing role that's been really fun. Uh, I love your story. And I love how you focused on, you know, uh, the types of startups and sort of stage of startup that is sort of your sweet spot. And um, that that's awesome that you're able to do that. And you've done it now, This, like you said, six times. So uh, that's amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about Esper and its you know, position as a category leader within, I guess, the Internet of Things? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So there's actually billions of IoT devices. And typically when we think of this, maybe like your Alexa device comes to mind. We're focused on the, the business side of um, IoT devices. So we call them edge devices. And as you can imagine, the space is really exploding. There's there's literally billions of them. So it could be anything from a point of sale tablet to a connected fitness device to a ticketing kiosk. And then what we do at Esper is what we is DevOps for devices. So, so what does that mean? It's all the underlying infrastructure that devs, developers, and engineers use so that they can focus on the apps. So it's basically just how like with um, AWS, they take care of all the underlying infrastructure of your website. We do the same thing of all the underlying infrastructure of your device. So if you need to send an update or have a security patch, we cover all of that. So you just get to focus on your app. And what's really cool is some of the use cases we get to power. So it's anything from like a Peloton Compete connected fitness experience to tablets for students in rural India to healthcare devices for COPD patients. Yeah, it sounds like a range of solutions that you support, which is incredible. I I love to always think about sort of like beyond the tech right? What is the impact that you're having in the world? And yeah, uh, it sounds like there's plenty of an endless, perhaps, use cases. So Esper has been growing 
Um, you just announced a $60 million funding round. So congrats on that. Any big plans for that money that you can share with us? Oh man. Yeah. It's been a big week over here. Um, so the, yeah, this brought us to um, just over a hundred million in funding in a very quick span of time. And uh, really the, where we're going to be spending it is on how do we get in front of more, you know, large enterprise customers. So for me, a lot of that means building a brand, um, very recognizable brand. So people think of us first and be, and really know that we exist. Because I like to say that we're, we're inventing the future. We're taking what cloud engineers have been used to having on the DevOps side, and we're bringing that same experience to devices, which are much further behind in terms of what they get to use. So I'm doing that in a couple of ways. We're building, we're basically building a media company where, how do you, where do you go to learn about, you know, launching a fleet of devices from scratch? Uh, where do you go if you want to stay up to date on growing your fleet of millions of devices? Like, how do you do it? What are the best practices? We want to be the place for you to find that. So that involves, you know, growing the team, you know, building out the product even more and, you know, all the, all the things you can think about. Yeah, it's exciting. Sounds like a really exciting time to be at the company. And you know, as you mentioned, you this is your your sixth startup, and so you're essentially a, a startup veteran uh, and an, an investor. And you've led you know marketing and communication efforts at different companies and startups like Textio, Apptentive, and and Mixpo. One of the things that I think about a lot, of course, is the presence of women in particular as founders, as board members, as senior leaders. What do you think about the progress there being made you know, in the tech industry and, and what still needs to be done? Well, I can definitely say we have a long way to go. And I've had the privilege of working most recently with two really amazing female CEOs, um, Kieran Snyder over at Textio and then Francis Dewing when I was at Rubica. So there is no shortage of amazing female talent, that's for sure. And I think the thing of where we need to go, like I feel really grateful that I've had a lot of champions help me get where I am today. And I think we need even more of that for, for additional women. So for example, how I found out about Esper is a friend of mine is at um, Madrona Ventures, you know, one of the biggest VCs in Seattle. And, you know, I've had a relationship with him for a while. He knows my story, my background. And I went to him first when I was looking for my next role and said, Hey, you know, what do you, who should I be talking to? And he said, Oh, Esper is the cream of the crop in my portfolio. Like you, you know, you should definitely talk to them and they're looking for their VP of marketing. So by being championed by him making that introduction you know, it was a whole totally different conversation with, you know, Yadu, both the trust there of like, I'm vetted, you know, I've been in the Madrona portfolio before and done, you know, good work. So I think it's how do we identify talent, but female talent quicker and, and help people, you know, I've had a lot of people help me in my journey. And I've also been given like part of why I love coming in at early stage companies is you have a real opportunity to prove yourself because you're growing so fast. There are so many opportunities. Like there is no shortage of work to be done. And if you want to take it on, usually it's like, great, go, like, go do the thing, go, you know, prove it out and, and show that. So that's part of why I wouldn't be a VP at Microsoft right now. It would take a lot longer to move up the ranks, but by choosing, you know, smaller companies, places where I have amazing, you know, leadership from um, the founding team, there's been room to kind of 
find a place. And now it's on me also to how do we cultivate and bring up more talent? Yeah, I think uh, that a lot of that resonates with me. And I think you're spot on in terms of, you know, being more, I guess, efficient or effective at identifying talent and then, you know, fostering that talent, but also having, you know, champions that, that help or sponsors even. Um, I can certainly relate to that, that same experience. You mentioned a little bit about what you're focused on in terms of, you know, marketing and building a brand, you know, with your next, with your most recent round of funding. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, other things you're thinking about maybe this quarter, next quarter, and even, you know, into 2022 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely Esper is the most complex go-to-market that I've run because there's the ecosystem of hardware meets software is there's a lot of stuff going on there. Mm. Um, so for me, what I'm very excited about in the near term is we're really expanding on with our partnerships. So everything we're doing is we're trying to find that moment in time when people are looking to grow their device fleet, like switch hardware, add a new set of hardware, or they're looking to build a fleet from scratch. There's a very small window when they're in the buying mode. And Mm -hmm. so one way to get access, like to get those insights is to actually partner with hardware partners. So OEMs, for example, like Samsung or Lenovo sell hardware. Um, So we really want to build out that ecosystem so that we can be the other half of the solution when someone's looking to, you know, build out a new experience for their customers. So that's a big area I'm focused on also growing the brand. So I'm very excited about building this media company. We just hired the top editor in chief in our space. Uh, we brought him over from Android police and he totally understands our audience and is going to build out something really special here. And like, that's my favorite thing is anchor on content and providing a ton and ton, a ton of value before I try, like before then I took my whole thing is how do I build a lot of trust, show a lot of value, and then hopefully be the obvious choice of who you work with. So those are two of the initiatives I'm really pumped about. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting hire. And I, you know, that that's really uh, strategic and, and thoughtful for, for you to be focused on providing value through content, right? And like you said, building that trust and building that relationship and eventually being the the obvious choice. You know, it's interesting being in the B2B space. I'm sure, you know, it's very different uh, and sometimes similar too, but mostly different um, from the consumer world, just given you have different people that are involved in the purchasing process. You know, you've got end users, you've got, you know, buyers and stakeholders, um, so it's it's a more, I think, challenging yet interesting dynamic to try to understand in terms of customer understanding. You know, I'd love to, to hear from you in terms of, you know, you and your customers and how you think about hearing from and talking to customers directly. I believe you're a fan of this practice, but can you share a little bit about why you, why you believe it's important to hear directly from your customers, you know, in their own voices and and even see see them in real life, right? Either real time or even through um, video. There's kind of two moments when we get like very unique feedback. So I think um, like I've been working on this product now for like almost a year. So I feel like I have drunk the Kool-Aid, right? I'm creating the Kool-Aid and I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and like, I'm very, I have a perspective on what I think, how to say it, what we should be doing. 
what I love about user feedback or new hire feedback or customer feedback is it's this totally like outside of the box. Like what are they seeing? And I can give you an example from my last company. So um, we had a cybersecurity product for consumers and uh, we were getting, so this kind of the journey of customer feedback and how it came through. But so our customer support team was seeing some trends and that it was too hard to con- for our customers co- to connect to the VPN. And so we took that to the engineering team. We're like, look, it's too hard. And they're like, oh, it's not too hard. They can just do this and that and this thing. And like this really convoluted workaround that they as engineers were very comfortable with. And our customer support team was like, that's too hard. Like they're not gonna be able to do that. And they're like, oh yeah, they can do that. Let's go build something else. So we're like, okay, how do we show them how hard this is? So I am a user testing fan. We actually spun it up and, you know, had asked, you know, asked people to go through this. We got to, you know, to collect the video. We asked them to, you know, jot down to talk through what they were going through. And it was hysterical, right? Cause you, you'd literally hear them say like, uh, what the heck? Like, this makes no sense. Right. And then there was some, you know, colorful language also (laughs) involved. And then the engineering team, like they can't argue with that. Right. Like it's in their face. They're seeing a vision, um, the, you know, the screen. And my favorite part is we could then accurately diagnose where's the worst of this problem. It's not this whole thing is a problem, but we found that like this one step, was like everyone got stuck here and it was like and by everyone my sample size was like five right it doesn't have to be this massive sample size but when you're getting to watch people you don't need as big of a sample size because really obvious okay every single person has got stuck here so that's my favorite way to be like this isn't my opinion versus your opinion like let's see what the customer is trying Wait, we're there we're trying to get them to through this so they can have what's like what's the success moment and then let's watch if they can get there and how they get there. And then how do we make it more delightful for them? So I'm a big um, advocate of getting that feedback. And it's a it's a major tool in my arsenal for this isn't my opinion, but like, let's figure this out together. Yeah, absolutely. I love how um, you're able to pull perspective from the support team, which I think is one of the most valuable teams in an organization for understanding where the experience is falling down. I also think it's fascinating, like you probably with that VPN sort of connect experience, you probably had data, right, on how many people were actually connecting and probably, you know, where suboptimal sort of, you know, performance there, but actually being able to see the why, right, to like truly understand and connect with like a human, so engineer as a human connecting with the other person as a human trying to connect to the VPN, like there's something there in terms of truly understanding, having it click, and then even acting with urgency, right? To go fix it once you understand what the issue is. We're so spot on because both of those things we didn't have. So we made a bunch of assumptions. And so they were spinning up lots of different pieces of work that didn't end up being, I mean, so the way I sold it to them was like, hey, I'm going to go run this so that you can pinpoint the exact area for you to spend cycles. I don't want you, I don't want us guessing what it is. And cause we did have data that's, and then we had, so we had every type of data and yet we still were making guesses of how to fix it versus like getting to see how to fix it. Yeah. That's the power of this, this type of feedback for sure. Like seeing the, the world through your customer's eyes, right. It's a, uh, it just all kind of clicks. Um, otherwise, like you said, you're just sort of like, I always think of just like throwing a 
dart in the dark, you know, and hoping you hit the bullseye, like probably not a good chance of that happening. Right. Like we don't have time to guess. Like in startups, like there's 49,000 things you can do in any given moment. So figuring out how to aim our very limited resources is critical because really I want the engineering team to be building our next features, making our products so much better. But if they can't even use it, then they don't get to that, like the, the rest of the magic. So it's like, how do we, how does it help us focus where to spend time and energy? And I think that's the power of, yeah, of, of different types of feedback. Yeah. Building the next features and also feeling great about the experiences that they, they have built, right? I'm sure you saw in your data after you made that fix, the numbers went up and they're probably celebrating a bit. And uh, I hope that they is came. the best part of customer feedback is when it's like, this is awesome. We yeah. love this part of your your product or we love your customer success folks or like you're so much better than XYZ, what I was trying to do before. So yeah, it's like, talk about the best way to like be a cheerleader for your company is to bring in positive feedback to like, like, yes, keep going. This is working. Let's do this. Yeah. It definitely has both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great point too. I've found that teams are much more receptive to the hard news and the hard feedback when they're also hearing the good stuff as well. And I think sometimes we forget that part. So that's a really great point to make sure that that positive feedback is funneled to them as well. Let's see here. So, you know, we talked a little bit about how startups, obviously you're moving fast. You don't have a ton of resources. There's a million things to do and you often have to go through like ruthless prioritization. Um, So do you have any advice for uh, startups on prioritizing customer feedback and user testing? Yeah. So especially, so I do a lot of advising of like really, really early stage startups when you literally just have an idea and I think especially, well, throughout the process feedback, I mean, you, I'm a feed, like I'm big on feedback, <laughs> clearly, but I think especially when you're really early stage, um, what I found is founders want to get to building as quickly as possible. And they think that because they have the problem, everyone else has the problem. So, I mean, we call it like, does will the dog eat the dog food? But it's like, test those initial assumptions and like, Like to run this test, I think it's like 50 bucks a person, right? If you use your, like, yes, I'm a user testing fan, but it's really cheap, right? To like actually just get a a very small sample size and ask people. So if I'm talking to university students, I'm like, spin up a survey, but make sure that survey is going to your ideal customer. Don't just ask your family and friends. They might not be your ideal customer. So it's like nail down who that ideal customer is, and then get feedback of those actual humans so that you don't spin cycles creating something for you that nobody else wants. And the other piece I think tied to that is like, what will people pay for? Because I think that's the other half of testing is like, one is like, listen for like that aha moment, hear their experience. But people also want you to feel good. So the real, another real test I've seen is like, will they swipe a credit card for it? Well, or will they give you your time, their time or specifically that like, will they like, I will pay for this, even if it's $5. Otherwise you're like, yeah, I'm totally onto something. All these people have said they want it. And it's like, well, but will they pay for it? (laughs) Um, So that's something I've learned on my journey with startups. Like there's ways, there's so many different ways to get feedback. You can run your own surveys. You can 
use a tool like user testing, you can um, listen to your support. Like there's a, a myriad of ways you can do this and there's really no excuse not to, like we have to always be on the pulse uh, so that we can focus. Yeah. I love that. There's no excuse not to do it. <laughs> I think you're so spot on though, especially with that beginning part where you were talking about, you know, making sure that you're vetting ideas and concepts before you, or even just vetting the problem itself, right? Is this the right problem to solve before you move into solutioning? Because you're right that many teams just jump into solutioning before truly understanding all of the nuances of the issue. Uh, and, but that place is very uncomfortable to be because you, it's, it's the unknown, right? It's very squishy. Um, but I, I, like you always suggest teams spend more time there, even though it's uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, any advice you have for developing some, you know, regular cadence or continuous engagement with customers? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is working with customers is not only the job of the customer success or the customer support team. It really needs to be in the DNA of the whole company. Um, Whether you call it customer obsession or just that emphasis on we care about that customer, that customer love, customer obsession, like that has, that DNA needs to be in the whole company. So for us at Esper, like our number one value is trust. If like our customers have to have trust in the platform, meaning like it has to stay up, right? It has to do what it says it does. We need to be secure. Then our customers need to trust that we are the experts in the field. Like we are the experts at the Android operating system and all these different types of hardware. Uh, They have to trust that when we, like on my side, when we write something, it needs to be technically accurate so that we don't lose credibility. They need to trust that what we say. So it's like all these different ways that for us, trust is this kind of underlying value um, that we build everything on top. And that's so that the customer has an amazing experience. I mean, one of the key advantages of startups or growth stage companies is part of how we've built Esper so quickly. Uh, we surround the, our our customers with like a lot of different experts to make sure that they are successful. And my favorite thing is hearing feedback from them of like, oh my gosh, like you guys are our, like one of our top vendors. You take such good care of us. Like you fix things quickly. If anything goes wrong, we know you are the experts in the area and the space. And like, that is, that's how we get, you know, that's how we help the relationship stay sticky. That's how um, we, you know, you get then get referrals. Like it's this kind of flywheel if you do it right. And I've seen the opposite with other companies if they drop the ball on that or they get too big or they start focusing less on the customer. You have to go through four tiers of support just to talk to a human. And it's like, that's a crappy experience. Like, why would someone stay working with you? So for us um, and, you know, the different companies I've been at, like we've really driven that home. I think it can be a competitive advantage to consistently focus on you know, customer engagement, having them top of mind, letting them influence the roadmap and, and all different things like that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right that it is a competitive uh, advantage. You know, um, this continuous connection with customers, what are some ways that that you do that at Esper? I, I believe you have an advisory board. So maybe tell us a bit about that and maybe other ways that you pull in regular customer feedback. Yeah, absolutely. So we do it um, across a lot of different teams, which is really awesome. So we have an amazing customer success team. 
when we bring on a customer, there's a, a very strong handoff from the sales team to the pre-sales. So for us, pre-sales is like going through that proof of concept, testing out the hardware with our with our software on it, making sure it works. I mean, we have devices from every different customer in the office. So we've got what they are looking at. Like we often go to site to make sure launch goes really smoothly. So we're talking to customers all along the way. And something that's really special is most of them let us tell their stories publicly, which, you know, you know that not everyone, not every company lets you do that. And we've gotten to do that on a a lot of different ways. Something that we will build out that I've built out at past companies is a customer advisory board. So how do we bring in the business leaders and so that they get to talk to their peers and stay ahead of what's coming next they get to talk to our experts and know what's coming in the industry. And then they get to have feedback on the roadmap. Like they're the experts of what their business is trying to do of the, you know, what they're trying to solve for their customers. So we need that insight. We need to know, you know, how do they want to see this sea of data that we have about their devices? Like what would be helpful? What do they need to communicate up to their board? So I think that, that's we're, we'll get there. Like we're still pretty early on, um, but we now have a wealth of customers that could also learn from each other. And that's when this, that synergy is so fun. When you see light bulbs going off for different people in completely different industries, they're like, Oh, we could do it that way too. Like I never thought about that. And then that, like, that's when it really just gets, gets fun. And then eventually you get them together. Um, you know, someday when we're allowed to get people back together you can have a you know a customer conference and let them meet each other and talk about what they're doing and you know let the good times keep rolling. Yeah, I can relate to that feeling. There's nothing better than getting a group of your customers together and seeing light bulbs go, go off, but also learning so much from them and, and the perspectives that they share. Because you know, as I mentioned before, in the B two B space, it's just the relationship and sort of the ecosystem of people within a single customer that you work with is fairly complex. And so it's so helpful to have the different perspectives on an ongoing basis. You know, as a marketer, there's no shortage of content and positioning and and other things that you're working on among many other things. Um, Do you have any favorite, I guess, marketing related touch points or experiences that you like to get feedback on, like ad copy or brand campaigns or even overall messaging? Like, do you have a fun use case that you that you love to get feedback on? I'd love to, to hear uh, from you on that. Yeah. I mean, my absolute favorite is talking to direct customers and hearing their, like, I love hopping on, like a, a getting a half hour, an hour with a customer and just hearing like, hey, how did, like, tell me about your job. Tell me about your company. Tell me about what you're trying to accomplish for your customers. And then, you know, tell me about your experience with Esper, the product, with the people at us. Like, that's my absolute favorite thing to do because then that instantly translates in who else like this can we serve? What from this person can I help find the next 10 people like them? Um, and literally asking them, like, where do you read? Where do you, you know, get your information? How do you stay top of mind? Do you go to conferences? Because our ideal customers, like, I want to find more people like them. So learning from, you know, how they go about, because I can tell you, 
developers, engineers, they, they, they get information very differently than you and I. <laughs> so getting into their head and fully understanding that is super valuable um, as we're still, you know, figuring out what channels, how do we, you know, get the information to, to the right people, uh, how do they help them find us. And then, yeah, seeing like what, what ad copy sings or, you know, testing out a different web page and seeing where people get stuck, looking at the heat map and seeing like, oh, they're really drawn here. I wonder why. Let's go find out or let's create more content like that. It's really interesting seeing like as we're building this content engine, like what is stuff people find and really valuable? And then how do we figure out the journey for them to, you know, try out the product or have a you know great experience with us? So that that's yeah, all those pieces are super fun for my nerd brain. <laughs> yeah, I am also a nerd uh, when it comes to this stuff. So yes, love the use cases around you know web pages and and websites and making sure those things are seamless. Ad campaigns and gathering reactions, but I I really love your emphasis on just connecting with customers, right? Um, so spending time with them, understanding them, understand how they think, right? Build empathy. And start to see patterns and trends across your customers. I mean, I think in a space like, you know, I don't know, let's say consumer retail, like it's very easy to make assumptions. I think in in a lot of those cases around, oh, well, typical shoppers want X, Y, Z because I'm a typical shopper or, you know, it's, it's easy to sort of make, make those assumptions where when you have an audience that's totally different from you and it's, they're, they're in a role that you're not intimately familiar with, there's so much to learn. And I think when we put things like a brand campaign or a website in front of someone, that's great feedback, but it's very contained, right? It's like, you're just getting feedback on that one thing. Um, whereas your conversations are probably so open-ended and there, it's probably a journey in itself to go through that conversation. Yeah, you nailed it. So what are your thoughts on gathering this customer feedback in our current environment where everyone's still essentially working from home and connecting to customers remotely through methods like Zoom or or even user testing? You know, I honestly think it's made it easier to get feedback. I don't know what you're seeing, but usually customers have a half hour especially if they don't have to travel and they don't have to like dress up for it. So I've found that it's like grabbing a half an hour, like, Hey, like no pressure. This is for internal use only unless you're cool with it being public, but I'm just trying to, you know, learn more about you and your role. It's very rare. People say no to that. It's, you know, worst case it's like, Oh, I can, but in a couple of weeks after this big deliverable. So that's been great. And then it, the other piece that I've loved is different people across our company are all talking to customers or all talking to prospects. And when we get to record the conversation, more people can hear it in the organization. So like I just did a call with a customer a couple of weeks ago, you know, recorded the call. And then I could say, here's my bullets of what I took away, but you can actually listen to the customer yourself. Whereas if I had gone and met the customer they don't get to see how he lit up and got excited about certain things. They don't get to see like, like seeing his face talk about what we do for him individually and his company, like that was really powerful. So to get to give that experience to my whole company was like a really big gift, right? So from the sales, you know, the everyone that 
met him, brought him on, you know, helped him become a customer to all the different support engineers, solution engineers, people building the product. They all got to hear directly from him because it's recorded. So I I think there's something really special about that. Yeah, no, but I think you you have a good point there around like the context is different now with working from home, right? Like it's the people now have multiple working environments versus just a single going to the office and sitting at my desk. And so being able to capture that in ways by, you know, connecting with customers remotely from home, I th- I, I I understand what you're saying there. I also I have heard the the part about it being easier to connect with people, you know, because like you said, everyone's from home, no one's on a, you know, plane to China or, you know, business travel type things. Uh, But I hadn't heard the fact that, you know, now you can record these and share these almost as a gift, right, to, to internal teams. And that's a really fantastic point. I hadn't thought about that before, where it's like before, yeah, you just take a customer out to coffee and you talk about things, right? But then it was only you that got to see it and it was your sort of spin on it. And it's like the game of telephone, right? Like, hey, I met with so-and-so customer and here are all my notes, but it's coming through your kind of filter, right? Whereas like now, like you said, everybody can sort of consume it and you know see what they take away too. I love that. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on to lightning questions. So these are just quick questions. We'll run through. We do this with with every podcast guest. Um, So uh, what's a book you've recently read that you'd recommend to our listeners? One that comes to mind is Who, Not How. Uh, So it's a book by Ben Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And it basically talks about it. This really resonated with me because often like got a problem, like how do I solve it? And their whole message is, instead of getting into solution mode, think about who can help you. So is it someone that's already been through that before that you could pick their brain for 15 minutes and you're eons ahead of where you would have started? Or is it someone that literally can take something off your plate because they are an expert in that area? So as we're growing the team and you know my responsibilities are shifting, we're all leveling up um, as leaders that's something that's very top of mind to me is like, who, who's my, who, where's my, who, who can help me with this? I love it. What's a piece of advice that you'd give to someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? I know you're a big believer, but believe it or not, there are plenty of uh, companies and teams that have deprioritized customer feedback. So any, any advice there? I mean, the way I think about it is that if you want to build credibility as a marketing, a product, or customer success leader, sharing customer feedback is the fastest way to do it because you can't dispute customer feedback as a data point. Love it. It's very true. You can't argue with with what your customer says or does. Awesome. So you've been in the field of customer experience. Obviously, you're very aware of what makes a great experience. Um, personally, have you had a great experience recently? And uh, if so, can you tell us about it? If this is going to sound silly, but we, so we, our office isn't by a lot of food areas. Like we're kind of like in this little island and we work with, uh, for lunch, like our, one of our perks is like lunch is delivered every day. And we use this company called Peached and it's so delightful. Like I, they make it so hard to forget to order lunch. They send me a text. They send me an email. They send me a picture. All I have to do is hit yes, a, and like lunch shows up magically. 
So they really thought through the, the customer experience. Like they make it literally dead simple. And like, I, they give me options of what I get to pick for lunch. I get to like rate it. So they, you know, that affects what they're going to bring tomorrow. So it's an amazing perk that we have at Esper. And then now that we found Peached, it's just like lunch made simple. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And especially when you're working and busy and running from meeting to meeting, you can sometimes the time gets away from you, right? You're like, wait a second, it's one o'clock and I haven't eaten yet. I'm looking them up now. Yeah. It says, uh, what does it say? It's like peached. Uh, like yeah, peached. peached. Their tagline is lunch should be amazing. And it sounds like it is for you. (laughs) It's delightful. Yes. Awesome. Um, So last question here, when you think about the future of marketing, what are you most excited about? Well, when I think about this, there's some things in marketing that never change. I think always and forever, it'll be our job to deeply understand our customer. Like what do they care about? What makes their life easier? What pain or challenge can we solve? And then our job is how do we connect that to how our product can help them, help their company, and hopefully help the greater good if we we landed at a mission, you know, a mission driven company, which thankfully I have. And then what changes is how do we deliver that message? So the the channels or the mediums that we have. I mean, one of the things I think that is both fun and really challenging about being a marketer is there's an explosion of channels. And they're getting noisier and noisier. So how do we break through the noise? And I think the best way to do that is like really authentically knowing what our customer, like what do they most care about and how do we match incredible content with knowing them like really intimately, right? Like we know what you care about. We know we have people like you, like we are in this together Um, And those messages are hard to ignore. Uh, But I think that's our challenge, right? Like the world is so noisy and yet we have something that can make your life better. So how do we make those connection points to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I can see how that's uh, an exciting sort of view of the future. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been incredibly valuable. I'd love to hear your perspective and, and thank you for sharing your expertise. Well, it's been so much fun chatting with you, Janelle. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast, and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play, so you can never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.